Good morning. I could stood some more of that singing this morning. How about you? It's awesome, awesome. You have your Bibles this morning. Go with me to the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, and we're going to talk about how Jesus welcomes sinners. How about that? Jesus welcomes sinners. How many believes that? How many wants to be like Jesus? How many wants this church to be like Jesus? Then we've got to be a church that welcomes sinners. Amen? Now, we're not one of those churches that say that after we're born again, we're still sinners. We're just an old sinner saved by grace, are we? Once you're born again, you're what? You're a saint. That's your identity. It's not by your performance, but it's what the blood of Jesus made you. And I've mentioned this a couple of times uh, the past couple of weeks. Luke 15 is very, very familiar parables of Jesus, especially about the prodigal son. And um, not really going to talk about that this morning, but I want to begin in verse 1. And this is why Jesus gave the parable of the prodigal son. This is why he gave the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. <clears throat> in verse 1 he said, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. So sinners came to Jesus. They drew near because they wanted to. They weren't coming to church. They were coming to Jesus. Do you understand? They came to him. And then there were Pharisees and scribes there. And they complained, saying, This man receives sinners and he eats with them now in the in the biblical ancient times to eat with someone meant more than it does to us today today is kind of a kind thing to do we're not entering into any kind of agreement with somebody just because we eat with them but in the jewish culture if you eat with somebody you're coming into an agreement of friendship with them and that's why it bothered them so badly and then verse three so he spoke this parable to them saying in other words jesus is responding with parables to their complaint and he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-and-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins... If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls all of her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace that I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then Jesus goes into the parable of the prodigal. And he says, There was a certain man that had two sons. We're not going to talk about that, but... <clears throat> the Amplified says that when Jesus receives, it means he accepts and welcomes sinners. That's what that word means. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the power of your grace. I thank you for Jesus, and I thank you that you are a Father. You are a God. You are a Savior who welcomes sinners. Help us to be a church like you. Help us to have a heart like you. Help us to reflect your image, your desire, and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. <clears throat> you can be seated. You can tell my voice ain't 100%, but hallelujah, thank God for a microphone. I never understand this time of the year when the time changes half your church stays home. We need to help people to stay current with the news. I don't understand that. 
I always love when it falls back because that way we have a house full. And they're on time. Most preaching from these parables always focus on the flight and the return of that younger brother. And uh, <clears throat> it misses the real message in here. The real message is that Jesus is not talking about sinners coming home to God. That's wonderful. And it's wonderful that God is um, welcoming them, this prodigal son. But what he's focusing on is the religious people. He's focusing on the Pharisees that have complained about him welcoming sinners. And this is what the parable is really about. When I first read this as a young Christian, this parable, I thought about, you know, man, it must really be something how that, that the people's eyes were moist and wet with tears when they heard this parable about the father welcoming the prodigal home and how their hearts were touched by that. And uh, this had to be a real moving thing for them. But that's not at all the scene that's going on here. <clears throat> What's happening here is that these religious people are upset. They're angry that he's welcoming these sinners. And the target that Jesus is trying to say is that each of these people represent a different group. The sinners represent the prodigal son. The, the older brother is represented by the Pharisees and the scribes. And so these are, these are two groups. we got two groups. we got two sons. <clears throat> and then Jesus starts telling a story, a parable. And he says that there was a shepherd that had a lost sheep. And he said, what shepherd among you that has a, a sheep that is lost will not leave the 99 and go search for the one that is lost? And so what, what does that teach us? When he goes and finds the sheep that is lost... Then it says that he finds it rejoicing, puts it on his shoulders, and carries it back home. That was a kind of a nice veiled insult. They were not happy about being compared to sheep because sheep are dumb animals. Are you hearing me? And, and, and so a sheep, once the shepherd finds the lost sheep, it's not like a dog. You can't whistle for it and say, follow me back home. It's not going to follow the shepherd back home. It's, it's, it's helpless. He has to put it on his shoulders and tote it all the way back home. What does that, that tells me two things about us. That, that first off, we had to be rescued by God. Secondly, you contribute, you and I contribute nothing to our salvation. That it's all a work of the shepherd. It's all a work of Jesus. That we totally, we're not co-laboring to get saved. If you ask the average Christian, what you must do to be saved, they'll tell you that you've got to repent of your sins. It's popular in church, but it's not found in the Bible. How does a person get saved? By believing on the Lord Jesus. By believing upon Him. And so that, that parable of that lost sheep tells us that, that we had to be rescued by Him. The, the, the second thing he went into was about this woman. I thought we were going to put up a picture but she had 10 coins, and most people don't understand. This is not some coins in a, in a bag of money. This is something that she wore. This, is, this would be equivalent to a lady today getting a wedding ring. When that woman, Jewish woman, got married, she received this chain with 10 coins on it. 
And this is what the story is in the Bible, and all the Jewish people understood it. That if she lost one of those coins, it would be equivalent to you, dear lady, losing a diamond out of your, your set. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and so you would look diligently for your diamond. You wouldn't, if you lost one of your diamonds in your set, you wouldn't go, oh, well, I've got more. No, you would look for that one, right? So she's lost that out of there, and now she's looking diligently, and she keeps looking until she finds it. And so what the Lord's trying to, what's the story? What does that teach us? That number one, that, that, that God, this teaches us about value. That God values you, that you're his treasure. That he values you, he cares about you. And, and, and in fact, the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save that which, which what? I can't say if Ben loses his wallet, I can't say I lost my wallet. And I really have no right to look for it. Because it doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Ben. Are you with me? But if I'm saying I'm looking for something that I lost, what does that declare? Ownership. It declares that it's mine. I'm trying to get you to see that what that teaches us is that when God said, I come to seek and save what was lost, you, God said, you've always belonged to me. You've always been mine. You've never belonged to the enemy. You've never belonged to the world. You've never belonged to anything else. You've always been mine. You belong to me. And it tells us that God wants us. Even in your lostness, you're valuable to God. Even in your lostness. It also teaches us that before you wanted him, he wanted you. And, and it shows us that he's searching for you. And he's not going to quit searching for you. And God's not going to leave you alone. You're too valuable to him. And so he, he, he searches and seeks for the lost. And also what it tells us is you see how there's a chain there? See, when, when, when a person is lost, then, then that means that they are apart or away from something. In other words, a sheep needs two things to survive. It needs a good shepherd, and it needs a flock. You're not good by yourself. And you don't do well staying at home and not being connected to a church. The problem that we've got today is that, you know, that the, the more time goes along, the more individualistic that we get. And I love the message of grace. You've got to know that. But one thing that I'm focusing on today is community. That not only does grace individually change a person, but what grace will do, it will put you into a community that is so unique. It's unlike any community that you've ever seen in your life. And people will be invited into that community that nobody else would ever invite into that community. It's a unique community. It is, listen, it is, a, it is a beautiful community of unified difference. All you have to do at South is look around. We're different. Different colors, different people, but we're unified. Unity does not mean uniformity or conformity. Some churches, you can look at the buffet line and say what church they go to just by watching them dip their plate. Because they're all dressed alike, they all look alike, they're all the same race, they all, they, they, you know, they, that's not church. That's not church. The, the, when, when Christians became Christians in the early, when the church was early, they were called the non-religion. Because everybody had a religion. And imagine in the early Christian coming up to a, a heathen coming up to an early Christian and says, I want to ask you a question uh, about your religion. Uh, where is your temple? And they would reply, we have no temple. You have no temple? 
How is this? Then where do your priests labor? Uh, we have no priest. You have no priest. You have no temple. How can this be? What sacrifices are offered to please your God? No sacrifices are offered. Our God's already pleased. Because Jesus is the, is the temple that ended all temples. And Jesus is the priesthood that ended all the priesthood. And Jesus is the one-time sacrifice that ended all the sacrifices. Non-religion. Strange. Doesn't make sense. It's a unique community. Unlike anything. But when you are lost, then you're not part of the flock as a sheep. When you're lost as a coin, you're not on the chain no more. Somebody say, I'm off the chain. Get on the chain. So the sheep, if he's lost, he's not part of the flock anymore. If the corn is lost, it's not part of the chain anymore. And if the son is lost, it's not part of the family anymore. They're not enjoying the benefit. Both sons have a father and a family. Do you see the community? Do you see the community? And see, these people were upset because Jesus was inviting people into the community that they would never have invited into the community. Now, in Jesus' day, sinners were attracted to him. I pray this is not true for Grace Point. But in most churches in America, those churches in America, evangelical churches, do not attract, they are not attractive to sinners. Sinners do not flock to the church services. Church services are designed for the buttoned-down, buttoned-up, conservative person. And they attract those type people and sinners, by and large, avoid churches. And if that is the case, then that is evidence that we are not preaching and, pro and proclaiming and demonstrating the same heart that Jesus has. Because sinners were attracted to him. Jesus welcomes sinners. And if he welcomes sinners... I wanted to just tell you what does that look like? <clears throat> what does it look like to welcome sinners? Now, you're going to love this. Uh, it means that he welcomes prostitutes who have been used by the enemy to cause husbands to break their covenant with their wife and to cause all kinds of problems. Is that right? Uh, it means that he welcomes murderers, haters, backsliders, gossipers, liars. It means that he welcomes sex offenders, rapists, abusers, stalkers, molesters of all shapes and sizes. He welcomes them. <clears throat> the other day in the Valhalla Times, a woman wrote and rant and rave column, said, told the paper, stop putting pictures of sex offenders in the paper. She said they looked awful. They looked horrible, and it just made her feel bad. Don't put their picture in the paper. They'll put sex offenders' picture in the Valhalla Times occasionally, every week, really. You could take those same pictures and just change the caption over them and say they'd been awarded for benevolence ministry and they'd have been bragging on them. But it's how we see them. 
It means if he welcomes sinners, he, he, he welcomes and receives abortionists, those who commit abortions. He welcomes the women who aborted their own children. It means, you're going to love this one, he means that if he receives and welcomes sinners, then he receives and welcomes homosexuals, transsexuals, bisexuals, transgendered. See how quiet it's getting? God receives the sexually immoral and the confused. Since I've been accused of this one a few times, since I've been preaching grace so hard these past three to five years, it means that if he welcomes sinners, that if five minutes before Adolf Hitler decided to take his life, if he turned his heart toward Jesus Christ and believed upon him for his salvation, he would have been saved and Jesus would have welcomed Adolf Hitler into the kingdom. And if that bothers you, and to the degree it bothers you, is it to the degree that you are a Pharisee? Because we think we deserve it. We want Hitler to get what he deserves. We want to get what we think we deserve. And we want other people to get what they deserve. And none of us deserve anything except by the grace, the radical, lavish, scandalous grace of God. Now here comes the question, because I know you're waiting on this one. Well, somebody will say, now, Brother Dale, that's quite a list you just throwed out there. Hey, that wasn't all. I really cleaned it up from the first draft. Some, somebody will say to me, but don't they have to change? Don't they have to repent? Don't they have to stop sinning? Don't they have to understand something about the grace of God? Good question. Good question. Come back next Sunday, I'll give you the answer to it. No, before I answer those, those questions, let's first fix the pronoun problem in those questions. Anyone see it? That's it. They. Don't they have to repent? Don't they have to stop their sinning? Don't they? You see? Why do you say they? As if... You are so far removed from that. Don't pretend that those sins are so far removed from you. Don't you remember when they were you? Don't you remember when you were a they? Don't you know that, that Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness? Not just the milder Forms of unrighteousness that the church likes to talk about. Jesus cleanses us not just from the socially acceptable unrighteousness. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Come on, give him praise. And when Jesus, which is grace, comes, it's going to accomplish miracles. It's going to transform people. It's going to cause them to have breakthroughs. It's going to cause them to be healed. Listen, it's going to cause them to be changed. Titus 2 and 12 says that grace in the NIV teaches us to say no to ungodliness. 
and to live holy in this age. But listen, it says grace teaches us to say no. I'm going to do a whole sermon on that one verse in a few weeks. But let me just say this. You have to be taught to say no. And grace teaches you to say no. People have to be taught to say no. Under the law, the law told, said no for you. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Under grace, you say no. Not because you point to a rule, because you want to say no. Because your heart's changed. You got a different heart, a new spirit. You're not saying, well, I can't. I would like to, but I'm a Christian, so I can't. That's law. Grace says, no, I don't want to. Something more important to me. difference. First Corinthians, I didn't give you this, but if you can throw it up quickly, first Corinthians chapter six, verse nine, 10 and 11. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, very sexually immoral church, very perverted city. Corinth makes Las Vegas look like a Sunday school room. Corinth was like Las Vegas and spring break on steroids. This is what he says to those people. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were... Some of you, before you were washed, before you were sanctified, made holy, before you were justified, made righteous, in the name of the Lord Jesus, by the Spirit of our God. Paul was saying, don't forget where you came from. When a law-minded Christian reads those verses, they say God's angry with those people and he hates all those people. God loves all those on that list. He even chose an extortioner named Matthew and a thief named Judas to be two of his disciples. He welcomes extortioners, thieves, prostitutes. Why? Because extortioners and thieves... You just said, Brother Dale won't inherit the kingdom. Right. Why not? Because extortioners and thieves who come to Jesus don't remain extortioners and thieves. They become a new creation. Come on, can you see it? God has high standards. What's God's standard? Perfection. Well, I'm not perfect. Well, you're not making it then. Jesus said, be ye perfect. Jesus said, be holy. For without holiness, you're not getting in. No man will see God. You can't live enough, good enough, to be perfect and holy on your own. You're made that way as a gift by the blood of Jesus. <clears throat> That's why it's good news, y'all. 
It's good news that turns a slanderer into and swindlers into saints and sons. If that bothers you, check out last Sunday's message. Go to Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith, and you'll find murderers, liars, listed in the hall of faith. Drunkards, prostitutes, harlots in the hall of faith, listed. When we come together, we remember where we came from. And if we as Grace Point ever forget that, we're not going to be the community that God wants us to be. When the temple, the Old Testament, when the temple was being built by Solomon, 1 Kings 6 and 7 says, this is the NIV version, it says, in building the temple, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used. No hammer, chisel, or any other tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. I looked up the word quarry, and it means a large deep pit where stones have been extracted. We've all come from the quarry, y'all. We've all been extracted out of the pit, David said. He's lifted me out of the pit. We're living stones. But when you get to the temple, nobody's chiseling and hammering. What does that mean? When you get to the temple, you will fit perfectly. You, You will fit. When you meet someone else who has been through the same life and death experience that you've been in, then you will fit regardless of your race, regardless of your background. Two things that make up a community. People that have a common history and people that have a common interest. This is our common history. All of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us like sheep have gone astray. That's our common history. Our common interest, one word, Jesus. Jesus. You may say, you know what? Uh, I don't see my kind of people around here. Then please stay. And help us be and look like what we should be and what we should look like. And you might find out that you might even need us a little bit. Together, when we come together, we go from being dumb sheep to being shepherds to each other. Because Jesus, who was and is the chief shepherd, became a sheep and was slaughtered. It says that the Lamb of God was dumb before His accusers. And went to the cross. He was slaughtered. Our shepherd became a sheep. So that sheep could be saved. Could be rescued. Could be put on his shoulders. Could be carried back home. Could be made part of a family again. 
to return back to the Father like the prodigals did. Would you stand with me? I get shorter every Sunday. Thank you for putting up with my voice. God, please help us to be the community. Help us not to be people that just come in here and look at the back of the head of the person in front of us. Help us to care about everybody in here. Help us to just be the living epistle example of what the community of God. Let us welcome sinners. I love you. You got to know that. But if we don't attract sinners like the younger son, the younger brother, then it means at least in our spirit we've got too many elder brothers among us in spirit that feel like they deserve this or deserve that. And what the elder brother didn't realize, it was his goodness that was a greater barrier to the father than the younger brother's sinfulness. If somebody's sinning, they usually know it. You're not going to shock them by saying, you're committing sin. Hey, I know. But the religious, when you tell them you're committing sin because you're trying to approach God based on you, your works, which is a sin, it's trampling Jesus' blood and said it meant nothing. Their goodness blinds them to their desperate need for the grace of God. And it's not that Jesus was saying, I love these young prodigal sinners, but I hate these Pharisees. No, the Pharisees was his target. He was trying to awaken them out of their religion. He was trying to, to shock them and to, to offend their religiosity and so that they would be awakened to their need for a Savior. He loved them. Don't ever think that Jesus don't love the Pharisees or the religious. He loves them as much as he does the sinners and the prodigals that are far from home. He loves everybody. We should love everybody. We should welcome sinners. Don't try to make them change the first Sunday. Don't you try to make them change at all. Let grace teach them. Give God time to teach them. Don't demand something from them on their second Sunday. Don't try to help them to be religious. Welcome them to the Father's house. Welcome them to the table. Come with your tattoos, with your mohawks, with your no hair, gray hair, blue hair, green hair. Come with your piercings. Come with your addictions. Most of this world think they have to clean up first and then come to church. Just as I am, without one plea. Just as I am.
just like I am. God loves me just like I am. But He also loves me too much to leave me like I am. He's going to change me. Grace is more patient than we could ever imagine. Just love people and welcome sinners. Welcome the religious. Welcome people. And if our spirit is welcoming, then we'll have to go to those two services. I can't wait till we have two services on Sunday morning. I'm serious. I can't wait till we add a Saturday night service. You know, you could actually come to church on Saturday night and that be your Sunday. Happens all the time in larger cities. If you think that if you didn't come to church on a Sunday, you would somehow be breaking this, you know, you just, you're religious. We got a great future ahead of us. We got a great future. God, through Jesus Christ, welcomes sinners. Do you welcome sinners? Will you eat with them? Will you invite them to your home? Will you be friendly to them if they walk in this building? If they don't look like us, don't talk like us, don't act like us, not our same color, not from our same background, would you just welcome people? Could we be that church that God wants us to be? And could we be that community that is unified difference? Beautiful, unified difference. I looked up in Webster what community meant. And this is not just about community groups. I haven't even mentioned them except just then. I'm talking about a community. Yeah, that's why we called it community groups, because that's what we're trying to build. Jesus is the one building his church. Jesus didn't say, Dale, you build it. He said, I will build my church. I'll build it. And the church that I build, gates of hell won't prevail against it. Nothing will stop it. God church, is God's church getting stronger or weaker? You can say, well, the church is getting weak. Not Jesus' church. Uh-uh. Some may religion might be, but not Jesus' church. To the increase of his kingdom and to his government, there should be no end. You receive that today? Ministry team, come. We want to give you an opportunity for prayer if you want it. We love you. We don't ever want you to drive away and say, I wish someone would pray with me. It's our privilege to do that. If nobody comes, we don't get mad. We just get to go eat chicken sooner. <laughs> we don't try to judge things based on how many come to the altar. <clears throat> I tell you, as an old Pentecostal boy, I could fill the altars up. I know how. I could dangle you over hell on a rotten stick, tell about three car wreck stories because I was a paramedic for 20 years. I got some good stories. And I'm scared of Hades out all of you and fill the altars up. But I can't change a one of you. It takes God to do that. And God welcomes you today. He welcomes you with open arms. He don't care if you're religious, buttoned up, buttoned down, whatever your deal is. 
He don't care if you're black, white, Korean, Asian, Indian. It doesn't matter. What if somebody walks in here, a woman dressed in all the Pakistani Muslim attire? Are you going to hug her neck? Are you going to welcome, are you going to be as welcoming to her as someone else that walks in? What if the person walks in that you saw them in the balance of times a week before as a sex offender? Are you going to hug them? I remember one time when I started church, I sparked early days, first year, we were burglarized, broken into, vandalized. The deputies came and got me. Our church was, speakers were torn off the wall. Our soundboard was gone. The mic, the cordless mic I preached from, they just took and cut the cords for just meanness. Throwed it on the floor. I was walking around inside the church looking at all the damage. Holes punched in sheetrock. All kind of damage done, just malicious damage. I felt like I had personally been violated. It's just a weird feeling if you've never been burglarized and vandalized like that. The deputy came and pulled up while I was looking and <clears throat> he said, we've called them. They're in a house about five blocks away in an abandoned house and I have deputies holding them there. They're, they're already handcuffed. <clears throat> he said, you want to come and see if they've got any of your stuff? <clears throat> when I went there with the deputy, I saw our floor monitors like these. Speakers were removed out of them and they were burning the cases. They had a fire, bonfire going. I walked in to see two teenage boys, handcuffed, sitting on the floor. I saw our soundboard, our drums and musical instruments and different things that they could tote. And I looked at them. And a strange thing happened to me. The deputy looked and said, Pastor, what do you want to do with them? They're juveniles. What would you do with them? I looked at those two boys. I did not know he was going to ask me that. I said, what do you mean? What am I going to do with them? He said, it's up to you. I said, give me a moment. And I walked out of the home. I said, Father, what do I do? He said, love them. Forgive them. Teach them about me. I went back in and I told the deputy, I said, I want those two boys. I want them to come to church where I preach. I want them to hear the songs of praise that came through those speakers. And I want them to come. Can you make them come? 
He said, oh, yeah, I can make them. He said, y'all heard the pastor? It's your choice. You can go get, and go get, you go in with me to jail, to Thomasville, to Juvenile Hall, or I'm going to uncuff you and you can go with the pastor and start cleaning up your mess you made. They looked at one another. They said, we want to go with the pastor. I said, uncuff them. I said, go, come on. I said, you're going to work for me and you're going to come to church for one month. And I'm never going to tell the people that you were the ones that did it. And I want you to see how many of those people will hug your neck and will welcome you and put their arms around you and tell you that they love you. I wish I could tell you that both of those boys are international evangelists touring the country preaching the gospel. I don't know what happened to them. One boy was part of a gang. They called him Miami. The other young guy just kind of got caught up with this guy that had, had all he'd ever known was gangs in Miami. They came every Sunday. They mowed the yards. They spackled holes in that. And for four weeks on Sunday morning and Sunday night in those days and Wednesday, they heard me preach. And I watched my people hug them. And only my elders and closest staff knew that they were the ones that had damaged and vandalized the building. Those boys were loved. And love never fails. Love always makes a difference. I don't know where they are today, but somehow I know that a seed of love of grace went into their heart. And I know that God changes people. Come on, give him praise. I love you in Christ. And I want us to love people. I want us to grow in the love and the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And I want this place filled with sinners. I want this place, I want our community groups filled with sinners. I want them to feel so welcome. And when they hear this message, I want them to be attracted to it. I want them to be attracted to you. Because of Jesus. Do you receive the word today? If you want prayer for any reason, I'm going to dismiss this church. You come this way while they're going that way. Okay? No religion. Just pure Jesus. But we want to pray with you if you want prayer. For any reason. Bless you, buddy. <laughs> if you just want to come as a believer and say, you know what? Give me more of a heart like that, God. I want to have more of a heart like you. And you come. I love you, church. I'm not going to hold you. God bless you. If you want prayer, you come this way. We love you, church. God bless you. We love you guys.